Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John and Melissa IV. On this episode, we're kicking back with my bud, Jenea. We're talking about the DMV golf scene, growing up on house music, old school wrestling. It'll make sense, folks. Let's go. What was the golf scene like here in, in the D.C. area? Um, back then, it was great. There was a lot of different options. Like There was, um, of course, the Nightclub Nation, which was like very well known for um DC area that was seen as like one of the hot clubs to go to not just DC the east coast period it was one of those old school warehouse type of clubs and their goth night was alchemy but it was <clears throat> alchemy and other ones were at different places like there was the black cat used to be like the cage and a couple of others but of course, gentrification and other BS, some moving to Baltimore, that I can say the scene here is a little small, and that was before the pandemic. But another thing definitely that I've noticed is some have even moved out of the DC area, but there's Goth events, but just not in the way compared to more established scenes like, let's say, LA or New York. But it seemed like it's a very cliquish community in certain parts, but I could say it's different versions of goth in DC. There's like the ones that during when Midnight and Alchemy that existed over on L Street like near like Federal Triangle and stuff, <clears throat> like Fairgood North. So there was that, but at the same time, there's other subcultures, especially some who went to different events. So they may not have crossed paths or they did cross paths. Like, of course, you got to consider like the kink scene, like Bound, and then you had those that were like for punk, so metal. Like there's, as of now, there's been a decent metal scene. There, I remember this Facebook group that I was following before the pandemic. They had like nice lineup of different DIY shows that were happening, especially metal shows. They used to be over at the um, the brewery that was over in Northeast. That's where a lot of cool like metal shows were and especially some black metal bands, but didn't get a chance to go because they ended up happening like while I was working or they were sold out. So, But I could say it could be better, but there's still some cool events, like one that I frequent the most um, since a lot of the other ones I mentioned no longer exist. Like they ended way before the pandemic, like Spellbound, isn't around anymore midnight isn't around anymore and then i learned recently the place it used to be at the meeting place that place is closed now um casualty of the pandemic but um before that a lot of places that were still going on a lot of them were in baltimore um but there's the one that i frequented a lot that was called um dark and stormy that was at DC9. I frequented that a lot. And then 
the meeting place before they shut down became used again for a venue called Vanguard, which is another goth industrial night, which is run by those who, um, who of course, were popular in the scene around here. They DJ'd at, like, a lot of the places that I mentioned, like Midnight, Spellbound, um, Alchemy, when Nation was around. So it was some popular groups, or Bound. So a lot of them crossed paths. So even if you weren't part of, like, the King community, you most likely went to Bound because they were DJing, you know, goth industrial and stuff, and you didn't have to participate in doing anything kinky to start with. You could just dance and chill, so they, there was a lot of path crossing, and then there's the ones who went to one that was based at a private club, like at the Crucible, but that's not a goth club, that's a dungeon, that's a, BD, that's a private BDSM sex club. <laughs> yeah, and because <laughs> and because private club means yeah you can fuck there while at bound you did not do that. I just got really wide eyed right now. That reminds me of this one place up in Baltimore called Club Orpheus. Yeah, I know about Orpheus. Like I said, a lot of the stuff that ended in DC ended up at Orpheus. I went there a few times. Had a friend who did a venue there. If I can remember, Orpheus closed down. I think it did, because I remember my band did a show there one time, back in 2014. And it was weird, because that night, the show got canceled. The sound was messing up? No, it wasn't just because of that. That was a, It was a comedy of errors. Because originally, the show was canceled, right? But this one band called had to fucking play, because he said, No, 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 we have merchandise... Uh, printed up with all this stuff going on here. Meanwhile, the reason why it closed down originally because it was nine degrees that night. Like nobody was going to come out. Nobody, right? So we still did this thing, and also, and you know the area. Okay, it's right on the waterfront. It's going to be colder, right? It's cold as shit. Exactly. And the guy who was running it, he was late open the damn club up because he forgot the key or something. So I'm literally out there um, for 30 minutes with uh, my uncle. Freezing? Yes. Literally becoming black ice. We're just out there and we finally go in. And I remember it was, it was a pretty good set, actually. In fact, you know, we kind of crushed the headliner. I know people say it all the time, but we kind of did. They even gave us our props. What they look like was Visual Kai if they never left Dundalk. <laughs> you know, they tried to be creepy, but not satanic, if that makes sense or not. Like, they, they, they want to be Marilyn Manson, but they look more like, they sound more like Deftones. So they were like the band Cold, if you remember them. You know, pretty much. Like, those are really strong parallel to that sound. They had that new metal sound, but they tried to be darker. And I'm yes. like, okay, you know, I don't know what happened to those guys. They would have made a killing in Japan, though. But I get a feeling they could have done something with Deer and Gray, I kind of think. I used to be obsessed with them for a little bit. During the MySpace days, when I went to Katsukon for the first time, when they were in D.C., like, oh, eight, I think, I managed to get a copy of um, 
their album Vulgar, which was a big deal because that's when they started slowly bringing their stuff to America. And of course, it cost a lot. Like I think, I think like maybe twenty. What was it? I got it for sale because originally it was fifty bucks. They were trying to sell Vulgar for fifty bucks, the CD. Fuck. But I, because it was imported. Okay. Yeah, it was imported, but I paid twenty five. Yeah, I paid twenty five for um for a copy of Vulgar, and I remember I this was I was still learning about Visual K, and of course the visuals I was seeing were the ones that were more of a darker gothic aesthetic. Like, um, <clears throat> I loved Darren Gray. I loved. Um, why am I drawing a blank? Because I, uh, I was obsessed with the singer Gact, who's the lead singer, but um, in um, Mana, no, not Gazette. God damn it, my brain farted. But I think you know who I'm talking about. I think I do. Yeah, the other big Visual K band, and I mentioned the singer Gact. Gacti Mana, they were in the same group. But I like them. I'm looking on my playlist to see if I can Malice Mezzer, that's it. I love Malice Mezzer and still do. I'm one of the lucky few that managed to be on Gax Instagram before he made it private. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> one of the few non Japanese folks on Gax Instagram. But um yeah, it. I really. I was confused seeing the aesthetic that I was thinking that they were goth, but then learning after learning about Japanese culture, especially Japanese fashion and street culture, that for some of them it was gothic, not goth. That it's the look. They don't actually listen to actual goth bands. If they are, they're listening to Visual K. And that's not actually goth bands, but you can still like them. Like, there's a lot of, there's a huge amount of goths that like Visual K. Mostly because if it's good music, it's good music. But there are some that are goth. Like, Mana very influenced by, like, goth music and subculture and even black metal. Like, he, He's a big ass metalhead, and um, so a lot of them they are willing to explore different genres and different sounds, but it still can be liked. Especially a lot of these bands, you can hear influences of like speed metal and thrash and. Black metal, like you're hearing some really great guitar work and drum work, and there's even like some industrial bands that are visual K bands that are influenced by industrial, and it sounds just as hard as the shit that you hear at the clubs, like at the Western clubs. So it's not that much of a difference. But then I remember asking the guy who was work who was selling me the album. I was asking, oh, what bands did he like? Because, and he didn't know any goth bands. Like, he, he, he knew my shirt was a Misfit shirt because you know the Fiend logo everyone recognizes. Oh yeah. But he could not name a single song. Um, he, 
he didn't know any actual goth bands except for Japanese visual K bands. But when it came to what he thought was goth, the first thing out of his mouth was Manson. So I was like, uh, next. <laughs> I just bought the CD and left. Like, kept it moving, went to the arcade. Um, but it still doesn't mean you don't appreciate it because I co I have books dealing with like Japanese fashion um, trends and influence and seeing Japan's um, idea and concept of gothic attire is great especially like the of course we know about the Lolita stuff but there's a lot more of a harder one like Lolita and Aristocrat and then there's there are actual goths in Japan. There is an actual goth and deaf rock and punk subculture in Japan. So it's not all just about the looks. That's one thing I've I also learned. Like there's this compilation I found years ago of like awesome Japanese deaf rock bands and goth bands and it was fucking awesome and um <clears throat> Damn, what was the main question since we've got on the visual K thing? No, actually, we're talking about that one band that I play with called They really look like an and American. And you said they were very visual K influenced. Very much influenced. That was pretty popular in the U.S., but then I don't know what the hell happened. I remember when Darren Gray came to America and they performed at, um, what was it, Oz? Yeah, when they came to OzFest, and assholes were booing them. Yeah, like I remember as I remember hearing when they came to America, when they went to Ozfest when it was in Texas, and they were being just dickholes to them, and yelling for them to speak English and shit. I've heard that about Ozfest. But then they, but then they started playing, and they of course were forming some pits. Because have you heard during Gray? <laughs> I gotta rediscover them. You know, I hate to use that term rediscover because I didn't discover shit. I had to revisit them. I haven't heard. I heard they're supposed to be working on a new album or another one's out. I've been so out of the loop. But I have a few, you know, few weeb friends who still hold on to their fandom and following along. That That's how I found out. I was like, oh, shit. I thought they broke up. Because <laughs> I remember there was this period that everyone was talking about them, even U.S., Bands like I remember seeing Western metal mags were talking about them, and then poof, they stopped. I want to blame the emo thing because, all right, one thing about emo, I blame it on because first of all, it's fucking emo, um, so I was blaming anyway. But all right, a lot of those emo bands, I always felt like it sounded like a lot of the music they were doing. It sounded like a knockoff of Japanese anime themes and the Misfits. At least that's what my chemical romance sounded like to me. Even call them emo for over. Like, I actually like My Chemical Romance, and this was before, wait, way before Black Parade and before um, Sweet Revenge. This was from their out their first album. I like stumbled on it when I heard the song um, "Vampires Will Never Hurt You," and I liked them. I didn't. Um, and then here reading interviews about them, especially where they got their name, and hearing, 
them actually referred to themselves as Death Rock because their stuff referred to, you know, a lot of dark subject and death and stuff. But there was an old, was it, I think it was Hit Parader or Revolver, one of those that they was interviewing My Chemical Romance, Jared actually used the term Death Rock and especially mentioned how they were influenced by the Misfits. That's where they got their name. Yeah. But of course, things change, and then marketing, because I honestly hate how it keeps being referred to as emo, but it's, I mean, emo's emo, for real, for real, but it's just, this isn't the current, the first wave of emo, like, I remember actual emo, because, you know, it came from DC. Yeah. Like, the band Rites of Spring, like, that was emo. It didn't mean emotional and all white. It was emotive punk. It wasn't about just, oh, this girl broke my heart. She's a bitch. It didn't become how modern emo became misogyny with a beat. And when you actually listen, like, it's just terrible, for real, for real. And then, then this moment that it mutated to the scene shit, which actually isn't truly a genre. It just became this, like, mixture of different sounds like Japanese pop or what they think Japanese pop sounds like. They didn't actually bother video game sounds and metal break, um, metal breaks, like perfect example, like blood on the dance floor, which is just the opposite. Cause I remember reading an article when the scene first started getting attention and learning that it's not really about music. It's about looks hence seen. It's about being seen. It wasn't about, like, honestly, talent, but then it created its own talent because you collected and just made a hodgepodge of different things and sounds and aesthetic that that was the main focus, but I noticed those who were once seen kids started getting a more rounded sense of style and finding... They also became, because they also came out the closet. That's the ever funny part. Most of them ended up being pretty queer and great makeup artists. Like, they got better at their work and they became, like, really good artists. Like, that's one thing I noticed. It helped as an outlet for people to be creative. And this is from someone who hated the idea of, like, seeing an emo and the seeing kids because. As a goth, that's what everyone kept lumping it as. Like, no, those are two separate things. One that has nothing to do with music. <laughs> the other one is the mute. Like, goth is a music-based subgenre, but people keep focusing on the attire, and even the attire isn't that accurate. They just throw on black and think skull print and call it a day. They don't know there's different subgenres of goth, like, there's different forms of goth music, there's post-punk, there's death rock, there's so many different versions, there's so many different variations, but people think, focus on the aesthetic and they run for, oh, it's Manson, or the internet joke is Little Peep, and I'm just saying that, <laughs> But, I see how he had influence in punk, so I get it, I guess, but I could care less. 
I'm I'm just minding my business, focusing on listening to good music, which I haven't really been listening to a lot of. I still listen to a lot of goth music, but it's more of post-punk, and I fell into like the rabbit hole of Russian post-punk. Yes. Like multi, like Moltet Doma, which I which I posted, and I've been like obsessed. I've been on this wave for the past few years of vape, not really vape, actually yeah, vapor wave, but more on the waves of like future funk and more the jazzy bass um, vapor wave. And then the stuff that I introduce you to, like the artist Limousine, who uses like pro wrestling promos and shit. Yes. Yeah, like so I've been listening to like a lot of like West Coast vaporwave and my of course my synth wave, but it's more of the dark synth, my post punk. Um I've been listening to a lot of rap again, which younger me would be surprised because there was this moment of avoidance of it. But I've been listening there's a lot of great female artists that catch my attention, like, I love Megan Thee Stallion, like, I've been having a moment of playing WAP since it's come out, <clears throat> and even though it's it's a Cardi B song, let's be real, that is Megan's song. It is. She she ate that shit, that shit was incredible, her parts have been amazing, and I've also been... On my wave, I've always been obsessed with house music. I've always listened to like electronic music, house music, and stuff, especially like Baltimore house. So because of that, because of WAP, I've been listening to a lot of Baltimore house again, especially listening to the original "Whores in This House." It's the whores in this house. So I've been listening to the original of that and some other um, house classics. That was about to ask you next. What you grew up listening to? Oh, what I grew up listening to is, you know, classics of African American household, R&B, soul, like a lot of the classics. Um, but also because of my mom, younger in the '80s, hip hop. Um, but also house music, electronic music, like a little bit of everything, because my dad also DJed. So I was around music, and my mom, my aunt had those like Columbia House tape um, booklets that came in. So besides having access to her CDs and cassettes, I would music was always around me, and I remember just sitting one day taking all the CDs and cassettes that she had and was just had headphones and just sitting there listening to, trying to listen to almost everyone. And I remember listening to like track for track of like her Luther Vandross CDs that she had, um, her Martha Wash CD, which, you know, singer from the Weber Girls. Um, Hey, LaBelle, like a little, like she had a lot of um, the classic female divas and singers, Aretha Franklin, which my mom's namesake, so my grandparents, they listened to music, like especially like 
soul, the Al Green. So I I was always around different types of music, but for the other stuff, like that was due to having access to cable. Like if it wasn't for MTV, I don't think I would have really knew about like metal and stuff like that or grunge. But then the radio helped because like WHFS during that time, that was like the alternative music station. So that was one thing was me recording, like making little mixtapes of stuff from WHFS and DC 101 and WPGC. Flashbacks. Yeah. So I've always been around music. My sister loves music, but she more of the classic like hip hop, R&B. Um, me, I was just trying to learn, just venture to discover new stuff. And MTV VH1 helped pave that way. Like, you know, the boom with grunge. I remember watching 120 Minutes, Headbangers Ball, um, Yo MTV Raps. I watched the box. I used to call the number for the box. Used to, I was that jackass that kept asking for green jelly. That um, you know, the three little pigs joint. That was me. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, little pig, little pig, let me in. Not by the hair of my chinny chin. Yeah, I was that little bastard calling for that. Thanks. You exposed to something pretty cool, you know? That's because I was exposed to it. It was between that or I was also... There was this one song that I remember used to play on the box. It didn't really come on MTV till later on, but that's how I learned about Aphex Twin. I learned about Aphex Twin because of the box. And then they started playing Aphex Twin later on on MTV when they played um, the video for Window Liquor. And then later on, like around day before Halloween, I remember they debuted the video for Come to Daddy. And I was obsessed. <laughs> like, I was just sitting there. One, it did scare the shit out of me for a, for a little bit, but I was still just like, what is this? And I remember I used to write down the names of artists that popped up on MTV, like, their videos because if there was song I tried to if there was a moment my mom or anyone was going to the the mall or anywhere near like a music store I would walk around and try to see if I could find it and if I had the money or or just begging if we to to have them buy it for me like that's how I got um I remember getting a copy of Hellbilly Deluxe that way I got um, Hellbilly Deluxe um, at Sam Goody, the Sam Goody that used to be over at Iverson Mall, used to have a bin of like different cassettes, like bargains and stuff. And I remember getting for, I wish I still had it, that I was able to get Ministries Land of Rape and Honey on cassette. 
and I was a little nervous to get it. I didn't know what rape meant, but I saw the look on my mom's face when she saw it. But I didn't know what it meant. Oh, I was just like, oh, I like this song, though. Because I was listening to it, and I remember hearing someone on MTV. And I wrote the name. I was like, okay, that's the band, Ministry. Okay, let me find this. This is the this is song. And then I'm like, oh. So I got the song. I, I got it. And luckily, I think the one I got, it was a little, they had a sticker over it. But she saw the side one because it showed up on the screen. So she was like, what does that say? So I'm like, uh. <laughs> I, I was worried she was going to take it from me. <laughs> and I think it did have a parental advisory sticker. But these were the ones that it was like a sticker sticker. And my sneaky ass thought I was slick taking the sticker off. <laughs> But then I'm like, um, thinking of it now, it wouldn't have really covered it up much taking off the parental advisory sticker on an album that has the word rape on it. <laughs> My logic failed. Wait, how old were you, though? Um, how old was I? Like I said, I had to have been in elementary school. I had, to, I had to have been at least in fifth grade. Yeah, I had to have been at least fifth or sixth grade. But like I said, I didn't know what the word rape meant. <laughs> yeah, because remember the ministry. Remember the ministry album was "Land of Rape and Honey." <laughs> yeah, we grew up very similar, actually. You know, because I grew up on damn near the same stuff. You no, know. but I really like like the Baltimore house. Yes. But I was there was that moment that there was this wave like Euro House was really the thing of the nineties. Like Labouche and shit. And I remember my my aunt had the CDs because Columbia House. And there were some like house music and like Euro House and dance music and shit. Like I had one of those like total dance. CDs, the mix compilations. Um, I think I still have my Labouche CD <laughs> and like a couple of others. But my mom was into um, house music and stuff like that because, you know, that was what they played a lot at the black gay clubs. A lot of house music, soul and stuff. But I remember on Fridays and being excited for like Saturdays because that's the times when you would hear house music being played on the radio, especially like 92Q, the Baltimore rap station. It would be just right when it hit, I think, 8 o'clock, house music. Like nonstop house music on Fridays, like on, on the weekends. So I was listening to that. I remember just obsessed with the percolator, like – I knew all of them songs. I even had a CD of this mixtape that my mom had of these different like house music tracks. And some of them were a little dirty that I should not have been listening to. <laughs> but I was. I re like there was one that I was listening to. This was when I was in I I was in like fucking fifth grade. And 
it was this song, it was this um compilation that she had that was, of course, for black gay clubs, and one of the song, one of the choruses was about, um, now I remember, I wanna fuck you with me ass right now, I wanna, yeah, that was one of, yes, it was this house song, it was this house song with this nice beat, with this black girl, Sing about wanting to fuck someone there. And talking about what and I I'm mad I remember I'm starting to remember it. It was something like candlelight and Vaseline. It is such a freaky scene. Oh yeah. And I'm I I can visualize myself now. Fifth grade me with my walkman, with my backpack on the school bus, heading to school I wanna fuck you there. bring that one other song that don't want no short dick man i thought we'll bring that one up i had that too i had the single of gillette's short dick man it was both versions it was the dirty one and the radio one so one side was the short short one the other one was short dick but yeah i had that too that song i had that i had a couple of those dj rod lee um cassettes and stuff, you know, that Baltimore DJs. Yeah. I was a little house rat at a young age. You just gave me a flashback, actually. Those when I was in elementary <laughs> school, right? And I was that kind of nerdy kid that people just like to fuck with. And I'll never forget, there was this one girl, like, in my class, right? And for some goddamn reason, hey, John, I was like, what? Don't want no short dick. I was like, hey! <laughs> was like, Wait, so they assume you... Wait, how are they gonna assume you were the short dick man when y'all kids in school when they're obviously the short all of y'all were the short dick That's man? That's what I wanna know. It was just weird. Like she just like for some goddamn reason I'm like I was like first of all I was like I never heard any she like quote like I don't wanna know any I was like she literally what the fuck? It just caught me off guard. I, mean, I don't know what do you say back to that? Like I was like, okay, let me just keep walking. Exactly. Like, how do you respond to it? Like, well, don't want no, sh- I don't know, short click girl. You didn't even know what that was. No, I just basically, and also, I didn't want to be, I, another thing about me was, I was too nice for that. You know, and I didn't know what to say back to that, you know, because I'm not just a mean guy, you know. Shit, so, but, that's going to be a quick flashback. At least you didn't call her a duty head. <laughs> To quote um, Eddie Gilmore, I wouldn't say anything corny like that. <laughs> I didn't even cuss back then. I just got mad. <laughs> I didn't start cussing till sixth grade because this kid, because I was being picked on, this kid kept bothering me. And I, um, I got hit because this kid was on the swing and ended up accidentally kicking me in the shoulder. And I spun and fell. They were like, you okay? And just out the blue, I was like, fuck no. And all of them are going, ooh. But yet they all cuss. I know, but it right? it was a shock because I did. Because I normally, because I didn't really cuss. I was avoiding it. So they were like, ooh, because I cussed. See, I wasn't smooth enough for that. So there were so many kids when I was younger wanted to cuss out, but I was no, I was... I was too loud and not oh, smooth you enough. Were cussing at, you were cussing at the wrong times. Yes. You were just being loud like, shit. 
Not even say that. But the reason why, because here's the thing about it. There's always somebody around, some authority figure around me, right? So I couldn't say it or else I get suspended. You, you just or... weren't slick to get away with it. Exactly. I was, there's nothing smooth about me now to this day, actually. You know, <laughs> shit. Like, um, oh my God. Right. When you were basically telling me, tell me your history and everything, I'm just over here, like, just... I'm trying to think of the right word. Like, you know when Silent Bob would get really excited about something? Mm-hmm. That's what I kind of look like. So My eyes just, get really wide and so shit. you're just sitting here like, I'm not alone. Exactly. <laughs> like, you made a good point about the emo thing. All right. In hindsight, you're right. The emo, you're, you're right. DC was really the ground zero for emo. You know, like it was called emotional hardcore stuff and rights to spring. You're right. You know, and, um, that's the whole thing, the scene thing. That was the thing I didn't like, but here's the parallel. Oh, I hate it. Woo. I fucking loathe it. Especially with my goth ass, whatever was going be. Oh, so, so you're, like, emo? Like, no! Like, like, it was legit hell for us for a bit, because that was what they, because that was the popular thing at the moment. People kept thinking, oh, emo, like, what the, at first I was like, the fuck is emo? Thank you. Like, the fuck? Yeah. Like, when I first heard it, I was like, huh? Then I looked at it, I was like, uh, oh, huh? Wait, what? Uh, my first thought was, wait, you guys are talking about the dudes from Weezer? Exactly. Because that was what they looked like. And that's what emo was. But then I, they're talking about the newer one, the, the fringe hair, and the heavy eyeliner. I'm like, no, that just sounds like mall kids. I hated that fucking era. Like, oh my god. You know what the scene kids were like? I just thought of a parallel. The theater kids and the art kids minus the talent? Yes, but think of the parallel. Alright, remember how the punks and metalheads hated grunge? Yeah. There you go. I wouldn't put it that I wouldn't put it that simply, though. Alright. No, I think the reason why because the reason they hated grunge because it was influenced by punk. Remember, metalheads wanted to act like how much they hated punk, even though a lot of the metal bands they liked were influenced by punk. Yeah. Motorhead, for instance. Yes. But with grunge, they were mocking things like misogyny and the stuff that was praised in metal that became just very anti-creative and just ignorant and the thing that the outsiders were trying to avoid that was once seen as metal was as an outsider thing those outsiders in metal became the bullies like if so with grunge they were the ones that were you know artsy some cases social conscious, some cases nihilistic. They're just contemplating things. They're justifiably angry about what society is doing to them and the world around them. So that was pretty much grunge. Think about it. The first insult they were quick to yell out was calling someone a faggot. True. You saw some of them so um, challenging gender norms. It was common to see... Uh, band full of guys in a grunge band wearing dresses and stuff they got at the thrift store in the women's department. Oh, yeah. 
Like I came up there when Kirk Cobain was on Headbangers Ball and he came out there in a damn yellow dress. He said, exactly, you know. All right. I love them. Me too. You ever heard the theory he might have been? You know, thinking about it, I really think. I know. We are not going down this bullshit ravine thinking that he wasn't, that he didn't commit suicide. He was, no. No, 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 not no, that part. Not no. that part. No, 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 not that part. No, remember when he did say that he had a feminine side and everything, right? Yes. And the term non-binary wasn't popular enough yet, but looking back at it, you know, he said he didn't feel gay, right? But it was something more feminine. He didn't feel like the he didn't feel like a guy. So I always kind of felt like what so if, you're saying that he was non-binary. Possibly, or the other thing just too. Didn't have, just didn't have the proper language for it yet. Exactly, like looking back at it, you know, and I hate to kind of try to retcon some shit like that, but looking back at it, it kind of makes sense, you know. And the story about him and Courtney Love, like I always kind of felt maybe Courtney Love was what Kurt wanted to be, you know. So would I be surprised if, you know, if Kurt lived? Would I be surprised if he turned into like, you know, like, what if he actually transitioned or some shit like that? You know, would I be surprised? No. I remember this um, one story about Kurt Cobain that he'd made a painting using semen. I'm not so, I heard about that, too. You know, and also, didn't he, didn't he write God is gay or something like that in graffiti or something like that? Yes. You know? That was like a little tag he used to do when God is gay. You know, shit. You know. But nah, you know, for professional reasons, I'm not going to do the conspiratorial thing. I'm not going to do that because. I mean, he was half right. <laughs> yeah. Shit. I mean, God being a non binary entity, yeah. There so, you go. He was half right. We can say that. All right. The other thing, too, like looking back at it, I don't think I hated my chemical romance that much. I just feel like maybe if the production was a little dirtier, I think I might have liked them a little bit more. Okay, so you wanted it to sound like they were playing in a basement. Yeah, like that or... Like I said, you need to listen to the first album then. That's when they were a lot more aggressive. Like I said, if you pull up the song, um, look at the song Vampires Will Never Hurt You. It It's a total song. It's a total contrast to... You know, to some, most people's, this generation's introduction, songs like the Black Parade, total night and day, still same, still same concept, just total night, um, change in tempo. And the other thing I did like about My Chemical Romance, some of the song titles was fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. I left the videos. Yes. Like, I was hooked with, um, it wasn't Helena. It was for their first one, I'm Not Okay, I Promise. That should have been a movie. Yeah, I, that's what I like. I liked how their their videos are very cinematic. Very. And you see that in a lot of Jared's other work, like with the Comic Umbrella Academy. Like, you see, like, his ideas have always been this, cinematic and he's he's always been this very dramatic like theater kid like i remember that's what i was talking about when i brought up that he referred to the band as death rock because he's real he was always really into 
music and art and especially the Misfits. He big Misfits fan. Oh yeah, Jersey. that was like big fuel to the band. Yeah, which is which sucks in a way when you're like some of these newer fans of My Chemical Romance don't even know who the fuck the Misfits are. They or they might just think it's a little scary compared to what they think is it's it's theater. Like I like the dramatics of it. I see it more of like a polished I don't know, suburban shock rock. That's a better way of almost describing my chemical romance. Totally. Instead of especially besides just the emo because at the end of the day it people use it and used it in such a reductive way. And then it becomes used in a way that doesn't even match what emo was. Like some are still using it to refer to goth or just moody people. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But it's still uses, um, it's still, I like how it's being celebrated now, but back then it was seen as a bad thing. And I wanted no part of it because, as a goth, you kept being lumped with them all the time, even though that wasn't you. Like, there was even this weird moment when people, I'll put it this way, it would, it would be like if, because you like Mushroom Head, people assume that you're a juggalo, even though those are two different Vastly things. different. Like, I remember when the maggots and juggles were kind of beefing one time. It was a short thing. But oh, still. yeah. Actually, no, I remember when much, yeah, when, yeah, when Slipknot fans were beefing with Mushroom Head because they were running around trying to say they were stealing their shit, and then you got to remind them, no, Mushroom Head came first. They did, you know. Like, like who tell uh, not a original singer of Slipknot? It was another dude. I forget his name. Uh-huh. In fact, Stone Sour was actually first. But it was just funny when hearing people like when it came to you know the whole mask band thing i'm like if we're gonna keep it funky about bands with alternate identities that goes to kiss then after that that goes to guar and don't forget funkadelic yeah oh yeah funkadelic but then mushroom head and then slipknot and or if we want to be assholes we could throw in lordy just to make people mad <laughs> if you remember lordy Yes, I do. I, I tried to hit my head a couple of times to see if I can forget that shit. It didn't work. I just ended up with a bruise. Um, shit, don't forget Mudvayne. Even though they did not want to be seen as like in that regard or their own thing, I'm like, yeah, they didn't. Nah, that's why I didn't mention them. I didn't want. I, I was like, no, no, I, I ain't gonna do that mistake again. I like Mudvayne, like. I remember getting ready to go to school when the video for Jig came out. Yes. And I was hooked. That bass line. Like yes. The bass foot, it like, was like... I, the way they look caught my eye because I've never seen someone covered in like metallic paint like that. And so I was like, cool, but that bass and his voice vocal delivery with it it reminded me of rap i was like damn i was just about to say that like to me when i think of dig because i put that video up on uh, my instagram page right it was that weird thing where 
the motherfuckers doing the chopper flow and doing the triplet thing that all these other rappers are doing now. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's what you would hear in some of these drill bands now, like they, Denzel Curry and shit. Exactly. And Denzel, I know he grew up on that shitty. A lot of them were born around, were already kids, or little yeah. kids around when that came, when that shit came out. System of a Down so, too. Like surgery was, it. yeah, surgery was doing the chopper flow too, you know. Yep. A lot of people don't realize that. Then I realize, but you know, the granddaddies of all of those guys are there, right? Rage. No, that'd be the, that'd be the dads, bad brains, because HR doing the chopper oh, flow yeah. too. I can't do oh, that yeah. shit for fuck all. Here's my theory. I think HR is speaking in tongues a couple of times. Remember, he has turned to God. And so, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, because I always thought like on the song, I guess on some band in DC, because I felt like a way to come. I'm like, I had to slow it down to understand what I was saying. But I'm like, think about it. To me, I always felt like Bad Brains was basically church music for people that felt out ousted, even on the Rastafarians, you know. So I always that's like I put it this way. Like I hated P.O.D. Right. The close I ever got to Christian rock was Ooh, fucking bad. I hate you. Cause it just felt very insincere, very disingenuous to me. I just never fucked with those guys. Just never Actually did. it wasn't that at first I I was intrigued when they did their first song. But then when I was learn you know how MTV they give you an introduction of these bands so you learn about them. And right when I heard Christian, I just heard the record scratch like oh, nope. Same here. All right. I'll give him credit for two songs. You know, the one song Outcast because they play like they balls dropped and without John, nothing because, you know, HR's on there. You know, my buddy Danielle, though, she loved POD, you know. So, you know, but that's another thing. So, how'd you get into goth? Like most that were um, born in the 80s, for me, it was more on the visual aesthetic before I knew what the music was. Or not even just the visual aesthetic, just the vibe of it. I was really into horror movies. My mom liked horror movies. Like my introduction to golf was more on the classics of like film and literature. Like she really liked Vincent Price. She liked Vincent Price films and of course like some of the newer horror films. And she liked the TV show Dark Shadows, if you heard of it. I loved it. Sci-fi channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, a, I was a fan, too. I became a fan of Dark Shadows. Um, I love, you know, Adam's Family, Monsters. So my aunt born on Halloween. So I was supposed to have been born on Halloween. So I... I was already into the spooky shit before I knew about the musical aspects of goth. But when I started really getting into music, I noticed I did like the stuff that sounded a little spooky. Like my, and it's still to this day, my focal point of what was drawing me into gothic imagery or sound was... Screaming Jay Hawkins. I remember being a little kid and hearing I Put a Spell on You and seeing clips of like his performances and stuff and was just 
fascinated. So, but of course, didn't know what goth was, but I knew when I started seeing films of people like, you know, live action folks, because I watched a lot of cartoons, that when they did show a, like, dark or spooky looking person, they had a particular look, like black, and they looked kind of, I wouldn't say sad, but just avoidant, and I noticed that I kind of liked that, and so for me, it was like visual, and then the music, I thought it was just me just having to listen to rock music or anything like that, <laughs> but what truly got me into the music of goth is, of course, MTV and learning about different forms of music. And I remember hearing the word goth officially was when the band Orgy came out. Like, it's literally coming to me now how I got it. Officially, that's when I knew what I was, was when the, when the band Orgy released the single Blue Monday. I remember on MTV, they had this little thing where it would, t like, to learn about the band, and they mentioned how Orgy performed with the band Love and Rockets, which, you know, had members of Bajas, and it, they used the word goth, and I was like, okay, so that's it, so when I heard that, and then, of course, learning about Marilyn Manson, which... For a lot of us during that time, that was the introductory point, even though that wasn't the correct source, but it still led to the actual source. So for me, it was Nine Inch Nails. It was like the stuff that was in vogue at the time, but then I st it still led me to actual goth bands, or more than anything, it was the you know industrial metal. More than anything, it seemed like it introduced me to industrial metal. Like, I knew about um, my life with the Thrill Kill Cult. <laughs> um, I knew about bands like Bile because of the horror movie. Because I used to listen to a lot of, um, I bought a lot of magazines, particularly like Hit Parader, Revolver, and Kerrang! And Rolling Stone and Spin, we used to get a subscription. <clears throat> so that's how I knew about a lot of these bands. But movies helped too. Like I learned about Bile, which is like industrial metal, because of the movie Strangeland. But that's like a whole other subject. But for the goth thing, it's more on, it was the literature, the visuals, and then I learned about the music. And what helped me with that path was through movies. Like, the Hungers definitely helped. Like, you know, that had the goth national anthem, Bela Lugosi's Dead from Bajas. So that led to my little journey from that, and then repeat trips to record stores, especially like Union Station, and just grabbing compilations. That's how, and their little goth compilations that they had. So that's how I ended up really getting into it. It was on my own. Like, there, I didn't know any other goths. And then being the black kid, I, I wasn't finding any that looked like me. 
<laughs> so I, I kept finding white people, and then I kept finding older people. So I was like, okay. So I figured when I noticed I was seeing some that were like in their 20s or older, I was like, okay, so this isn't a little kid thing. So I kind of figured it right then and there, like, okay, this isn't some little kid thing, but I can still like the music. I just, I knew that I couldn't really dress the part because that was during, you know, in the 90s, it was very, like, kink influenced, like a lot of vinyl, a lot of rubber leather and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, graphic tees, like, the from... From lip service, I remember the fuck pants. The pants and shirts that it just said fuck all over. <laughs> and the reason I rem- I know about that was because of you remember the clothing the clothing store in Georgetown, Commander Salamander. I think I do. Yeah, that was pretty much like DC's Hot Topic. That's where like a lot of people got their stuff. Like in the goth industrial scene was like. Them and Smash. I know before Smash. they moved out of, yeah, they used to be in Georgetown. Oh yeah. Like that was that was actually where I got my first like true golf album with my own money because the others were gifts or given to me. I bought um, only Theater of Pain by Christian Def, which you know that is like a classic example of golf music in America because, you know, it was always seen as a British thing because, you know, it came from the UK, the Batcave. But when it comes to, like, America, that was, like, pinnacle of that is that album, especially for the genre of death rock. There's several other bands that are great examples of death rock if you want to introduce to people of the genre, but Only Theater Pain is definitely going to be on that list. Hmm. Like, just... for me personally, it's them. It would be Alien Sex Fiend, um, Specimen, and for something that's a little more newer, I would have me bands like Catholic Spit and such if I wanted to get examples for Death Rock. But there's like several different genres. There's one that I like that's an all-girl deaf rock group that exists with a black lead singer named Bassett. Hmm? Yeah. Female, um, yeah, female fronted all um all-girl deaf rock group with a black lead singer. I was sold. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in. What's her name? Like you yeah. I can't. I, that's the thing. I don't. No, I'm shitty at names. I don't know their names, but I just know the band is Bassett. Okay, because I was thinking, I was thinking about Light Asylum. No, no, no. I love Light Asylum too, but like, Light Asylum like... isn't deaf rock. They're they're goth, but they're more on like the electronic part. Oh, okay, okay. Because I just heard about them because I found this meme said like black people can't be goth, right? And it showed like everybody, you know, almost like uh Yeah, and it and it shows Sharon. Yeah, like it shows Shannon. Yeah. yeah, it's um Shannon and um of course Toby from Old Children and like there's a lot of great bands. That's why I hate when people just keep, especially in the. Sadly, I keep seeing it a lot with 
black people who are tra- who are in the scene that there's some that are they want to whine about gatekeepers but then they ignore the reason why gatekeepers exist just like how we gatekeep in blackness because we have idiots who like trying to use blackness as a costume yeah or just trying to claim like say ways of saying how they are something that they are not and not knowing the history or context or anything of the culture when it comes to goth it's a music-based subculture so when you lump it down to just clothes it's one it's incorrect that's just gothic gothic attire has always existed but when it comes to they go hand in hand but gothic aesthetic is exactly that it's just aesthetic that you're not truly representing what goth is you just like the look like for those who keep complaining about people of what they keep calling elitists or gatekeepers because trust me there are people in the goth scene who are assholes with their gatekeeping because i've noticed because let's be real it is a predominantly white subculture yeah even though they say they keep trying to say how diverse it is because it's in other parts of the world but that's what makes it diverse because it's in other parts of the world but it does not change that those other parts of the world are still dealing with racism or still dealing with anti-blackness oh yeah which is prevalent in the goth scene no matter what part of the world you're in in most cases you're gonna find there's always something of a racist being exposed now since it's in vogue to now say how loudly anti-racist you are people are finally starting to walk that walk and talk that talk and they're starting to notice hey there's a lot of fucking racism in this bitch <laughs> but but during the time when people of color especially black people would bring it up we get screamed down at like what are you talking about where where, where? oh give examples and what's a microaggression you're just making stuff up you're just causing problems like yeah but let a white person just say racism is bad and doesn't belong in goth they get applause but if it's a black person we're we're just making shit up or we're just we're getting in too deep we're taking things too serious and we're sensitive <sighs> it happens you know yeah and that happened a lot especially with me and it, so that's why I understand the ones who, you know, they get mad over the gatekeeper. But then you have to understand, there's some that are doing the gatekeeping. You got to understand the difference. There's the gatekeeper. There's the ones that are just full on piece of the shit. Those are not gatekeepers. Those are just fucking trash. Yeah. But the ones who are sitting there asking you, hey, do you even know any goth bands? Like actual goth bands? And you can't answer. That's not them saying, oh, you can't be goth. Like, no. Learn your shit. No one is sitting there saying, goth denied! Like, no. I like to see that shit. Like, no. No one's saying that. But at least learn your shit. Like, you, that, just because, like, that's, that's way. Just because you are wearing black does not make you a goth. If you are sitting around wearing, if I was to put on a fucking firefighter outfit, but I don't have the training, 
I don't have the knowledge. I don't know anything about being a firefighter. I'm just wearing the outfit. That does not make me a fucking firefighter. It doesn't. So you wearing what you think is goth attire, you wearing Killstar, that does not make you goth because, one, goth is not a brand. There are goth clothing lines, but then there are some that have existed way before Killstar existed. The one I mentioned, lip service. Lip service is, is, was pretty much Killstar before Killstar, but had way better material. Hmm. And it damn sure ain't cost an arm and an asshole in some cases. There are some expensive ones, but goth does not have to be expensive. It was a D. It's a punk-based subculture. Yeah. It was all about DIY. So that's why it got on my it got on my nerves, and it still does to this day. How people try to reduce it to just a look, and think that look has to have an expensive price tag. It's like, no, that's not how this works. Uh, goth is literally what made the best aesthetic, and what birthed this aesthetic was thrifting, because. You were getting stuff from different eras, different things, different cultures. That was what made the look so iconic. You were wearing stuff that would be seen as lingerie with one group, one time period, but out in the open over your clothes. Just different materials you're wearing, different ones that would be for different so-called genders. So it, you couldn't quite manufacture that. That's why it was special because you made the shit yeah nothing's wrong with buying your own shit mm. i sure do i don't be having the time to run around diying my stuff like that anymore i i still do in a small scale but not like full-on outfits like i once did oh yeah and the closest i would do that with are my jackets like my my jackets that I have, that's the closest. I used to have like little crust punk pants, but the only exception is I washed them. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if you catch that. Of course I did. I, I know a few crusties too. You know, that reminds me. I know this guy on Facebook, right? I'm I'm in this um one e group called Culture Cornet, right? And this is one dude who has a battle vest and he has a Jim Cornet patch on there. <laughs> it makes sense like you know what i wonder if that exists is there has anyone done a wrestling equivalent of a battle vest like that you would see at metal shows but instead of just metal bands it's shit dealing with pro wrestling like patches dealing with wrestling because i'm slightly i wasn't trying to do it but i'm i noticed I'm slowly, my jacket, one of my jackets is starting to have a theme dealing with death where I've been slowly turning it into like almost an Undertaker themed jacket unintentionally because I have those Undertaker pens and I wanted to get some patches that I found online. So I'm like, do I want to go all out and make this an Undertaker jacket or just do what I was originally doing, just having it just, you know, death themed and I'm like, Undertaker still counts. I can just add others with it, but I, that's not where it's going. But that's what I noticed. That's it looks like that's where it's heading. <laughs> so I could be one of the few to pull that off of doing like a wrestling battle jacket <laughs> or <laughs> goth punk modded motorcycle jacket. 
but instead of bands, it's, it's like professional wrestling or just random stuff dealing with death. You know, it makes sense. It's honestly weird that it took so long for them to embrace it when they, they, someone has to have been a fan that we got a bunch of wrestling gimmicks that refer to metal and punk. Warhorse, the headbangers. Warhorse is Fucking metal. Legion of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> like he's the living embodiment of metal. CM Punk. He is like straight yeah. edge. That's really him. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, Punk, like, there's there's so many different things. Hell, but for, um, I mean, sure, not metal or punk, but let's be real, they have influenced people Um, when it comes to the demon represent Kiss. Yes. There you go, too. Oh, man. WCW is wild. Let's go put it that way. That weird late 90s WCW. Cocaine's real, y'all. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, my nigga. Shit. Was anybody surprised that you're into wrestling? Um, if you were to have known me, that would not have been a surprise because my family and so my my dad was in the wrestling. My grandpa used to watch wrestling. I mean, he wasn't, like, watching the newer ones, but, you know, the classic, like, old-school pro wrestling, and then a bit of NWA. Like, he knew who Ric Flair was, at least. Like, he knew who Ric Flair was. Um, and then, of course, like, the local wrestling, like, Capital Wrestling, Junkyard Dog and stuff. Yeah. Mostly because he was local. Oh, yeah. You know, the Junkyard Dog was from D.C. But... He was? Yeah. I was in Louisiana. Junkyard Dog is from Washington, D.C. My mind's blown. Holy fuck. I remember I had this book, this um, pro wrestling almanac that I remember buying a long time ago. And it had the, you know, the info of almost for that thing of every wrestler during that period. And half a Junkyard Dog, D.C., and even how he died. So yeah, I wish I still had it. Yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty big all. It wasn't just WWF either. It, that's why I learned about some other wrestlers that I didn't really know of at all, but knew of in text, but never watched their matches. That's how I knew about people like Bruno San Martino. <laughs> I read up on them. I think I had a book like that too. It was kind of weird. Like I got a paper cut. It was on Cactus Jack's page. It was like this little blood stuff. There's a little piece of my blood. I feel that was I feel that was an offering. <laughs> you know what? Let me tell you right now. Um offering to the god of hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> pretty I'm literally looking at a picture of him that he signed for my mom and me. So it's kinda weird you mention that. <laughs> when it comes to the wrestling thing, I liked it. But like I, I grew up of course during the whole Hulkamania thing. But I was not a Hulkamaniac. I liked Macho Man because I just saw excited yelling guy who looked really cool. <laughs> but I wasn't like obsessed with. I liked Glow because I was seeing girls whooping ass and looking really cool. That makes sense. But 
I could say that shit changed on a particular day of November 1990 of Survivor Series. I oh, think yeah. you know where we're going. Yes, I do. And my the, the game done changed for me, and things didn't things weren't the same. They still ain't. <laughs> Yeah, when The Undertaker made his debut, that that was a big day for me. (laughs) I was like, this was before Rubber Love. Remember, this is when he made his debut. He didn't have nobody yet. Oh, fuck, you're right. Yeah, he had Ted DiBiase. Fuck, I gotta forget that. I swear you keep forgetting when I said I am an Undertaker fan, I mean it. The only thing I don't have is a tattoo. That's because I haven't figured out. That's because I'm still figuring out how I wanted to look. Or if I want to just, do I want to reduce myself to just getting just, you know, the symbol? Or do I want to do something else, like a tribute? Or do I want to replicate one of his pieces, which is what I wanted to do for the longest. I wanted to get a replica of his thinking demon tattoo. Damn, that'd be hardcore shit. Because I'm a the reason because I am a big fan of the tattoo artist who did it, Paul Booth. So the fact that that represents two things I like, I was like, okay, that would, but I wouldn't want it to be an exact replica because then that would just be creepy. Oh, totally. So that's why I'm like, so I'm like, I want that, but maybe my own spin on it, and maybe to have it be to showing like it is a tribute, but also its own unique thing, which would be cool if I do dress as Undertaker again, I can have, you know, one of his more iconic tattoos, but it's unique for me, since people have been, you know, kind of lumping me more with Undertaker. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, so it would be, I mean, I wouldn't want that to be, I I have no problem with it being like a occurring cosplay because I am a fan. I've been a fan for years. So I wouldn't mind if I was to just do Undertaker all the time because one thing I would love to do is do his different variations like I wanted to do Black Glove Undertaker which is easy all it is just the black gloves and the gray spats I wanted to do gray spat one I already did purple I wanted to do Lord of Darkness one I wanted to do Ministry Taker Uh, the only thing I might not do is American Badass because actually if I was to do it it would be it would be when his hair was short, his big evil one, since I have short red hair anyway. So I could be my own, yeah, I could be my own big evil. <laughs> it makes sense, you know? Like, there's a difference between homage, tribute, and creepy. There's a thin line, but if you do it right, it's a beautiful tribute. If I do it, so, I get a restraining order. <laughs> okay, then, honest question, what do you consider mine, then? You do your fucking homework, you know, like you really do. Like, and also, like, you write interviews. That's just called research. True. Like, some people were thrown off by the stuff that I did know. Like, I remember in Naw when I mentioned where the chant came from. 
And everyone was like, oh, it's just him talking backwards. I'm like, that don't make sense because he would at least understand what it meant. And I said where it came from. Like, it's actually from the film Excalibur. And they're like, what? Like, yeah, it's a spell. It's a protective spell, if I can, if I can remember. And the reason I know that is because The Undertaker mentioned it in an interview in that, that book I told you about. It's It was an anniversary thing for The Undertaker. Um, and it was during his whole American Badass era. Um, he was able to break kayfabe for this interview. And it had all this different shit that literally... If you were to have done a trivia contest and just randomly belt the shit out, you would win instantly because no one will be able to know the shit unless they really just watched anything dealing with the Undertaker, which was my spooky ass. I was in a group. I was on um. I used to go on this website called um female-run website called Phenom Forever. And let me tell you, what it definitely showed was female Undertaker fans were something special. We all understood. We all had this moment of, okay, we ain't the only ones that think this big zombie motherfucker's cute, right? Like, yeah? Like, okay. And... The funniest thing is reading, they had, of course, there was fan fiction, but there was also erotic Undertaker fan fiction. Oh, Lord. So much detail on him having red pews. <laughs> and my, and my 13-year-old ass, oh, really, <laughs> just really like, whoo. Like, ooh, ooh. Actually, I wasn't sitting there like, ooh, I'm just sitting there like, that's most likely a someone's mom writing this. Yes. <laughs> like, that was me on the other side of the screen. Like, someone's mom is writing this <laughs> about just putting so much detail. And every, t every single one, almost every other one, either he's fucking someone in a cemetery, in a hearse somewhere, or... You're the sacrifice, but it's sexual sacrifice. <laughs> so you, so the spear, the affame, is actually his, his nine-inch dick. All of us were in agreement that it's nine inches. <laughs> and so far, I remember in the everyone was saying nine inches. Yo, <laughs> and man, it's all coming back to me. Then there was me that. I was part of a subgroup that saw him more as vampiric. Like I love the ones that people did him as a vampire. That that was what was get that was my horny engine going. Like yes, vampire taker. Or I remember one of the mottos. One of the mottos that they had for the um, for the forum was people saying that how un female Undertaker fans want to be Undertaker. Oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> All right. And I think there was someone who had it as a sign. Someone actually brought it out as a sign, if I can remember, saying they want to be Undertaker. <laughs> so does that make it canon, though? Because it appeared on WWE TV? It didn't show up on screen. 
But they were saying they did. Damn. Well, I wish so, uh, unless there's someone who has a picture of it, then we can say it's canon. Like, see, it's canon. We some hoes for everything. <laughs> we some hoes. The yeah. creatures of the night were hoes. All right. I just thought about it. Here's the difference between well-researched and creepy. I just figured it out. Well-researched is knowing details, right? That's public information. Creepy is you cosplaying as Sarah saying, love me, Mark, love me. That's the difference. Oh, oh, no. No. See, right there. <laughs> That's how you know it got creepy. That's the difference. See? Yeah. At first, I thought you were going to say creepy, like, the, um, the guy, the, um, there's this guy that cosplays the Undertaker, particularly, like, current Undertaker. But he's like few inches, um, like few inches shorter. And <laughs> there's this one picture. <laughs> I don't know what it is. This is one picture that I don't know if actual Undertaker looked embarrassed or just really tired, or but he just had like the the bra face. Oh him, yeah, I saw that picture. I think both. <laughs> yeah. I think both because it was like, oh god. Yeah, but he seems cool. Like I like um the I like the attempt. I like the outfit. I did current Undertaker before, but I like the stuff that has to me. What drew us was the dramatics of his look. How he didn't look like everyone else. So that's why I still I, why I would prefer to do more retro Taker. Mm-hmm. Than doing current, the closest current one I would do, I would, I would love to do the one that he did for the Boneyard match. I would love to do Boneyard Undertaker. That makes sense. Yeah, that one would be cool because that actually is something I can actually wear on the regular. <laughs> shit. Since it's like denim and shit, but for wrestling, I was, I was around it. But I became obsessed with it later on. It was because of WWE or WWF at the time, because I liked how it was during the era when they were pretty much breathing cartoon characters. Oh yeah. So that was what I liked. It seemed I tried to watch other wrestling, and in some cases I saw it as boring. But then this is what happens when you're introduced with introduced to WJF first. Yes. <laughs> and not like actual wrestling. So that's why I said my introduction and ideas with wrestling were a little different. Yeah. So like th- like I said, there was a period I didn't know what ECW was. And when I did, I was like, that's not real. <laughs> I was like, that's <laughs> like this is just violence. <laughs> but what was the other thing you called it? I thought it was a bug fight ad. <laughs> I thought it was an adverb for bug fight. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it that it was fake wrestling. That's what, then... that's what drew me to it, actually. Yes, you you came for the violence, stayed for the bum fights. Yes. In fact, it's funny you mentioned that because what got me into it, because when Paul Heyman was doing, it was either Paul Heyman or 
Joey Styles, right? He described it as a deranged Warner Brothers cartoon, right? And I was like, I'm a hardcore animation geek. And also, it was a video of Rob Zombie, and they were saying, You fucking sold me. So I'm like, Up, because we have like satellite, right? So. Yeah, we didn't have satellite, so that's why I didn't know about ECW until like they started doing the advertisements for the cassettes. Yes. Like for the VHS. Yeah, for the VHS. And then, because we had the black box, so we would sometimes get the ads for the pay-per-views. And I was just—I didn't think it was a wrestling. I just thought they were just filming people whooping ass at a bar somewhere. <laughs> like I, like it lo- reminded me of like gladiator shit, but for punks. It really was. It really was <laughs> That's like pretty much it. It was the gladiator pit, but for people who were big fans of hate breed. <laughs> Exactly, like, you know, this one Paul Heyman said, I want to create the grunge of wrestling, you know? But I'm like, no, you went more to 80s LA hardcore, actually. That was closer to that. But shit, one of the best ones, because it's something about it felt like... It felt forbidden. Exactly, like, like it was forbidden at a grudge, you know? And they worked like they hated each other. And then, behind the scenes... Some of them definitely hate each other. Exactly. You know, like, shit. Because I keep on thinking about, like, or, like, you know, because I found, like, the, I was looking at the bootlegs, too, right? So I'm seeing, like, Cactus Jack or somebody like that. And they're just, like, and I'm, like, what the fuck am I watching? And, and I see Sandman because I feel, like, yo, this looks like that Stone Cold. So, so that's where he got it from. And I see New uh, Jack. You know what I was obsessed about for a little bit when I managed to because Telemundo used to show them, they used to show um the luchador matches. Hmm? Yeah, they um sometimes I used to see them show like some lucha wrestling. Sweet. And, and I thought that was just the coolest thing. Me too. Because you know the mask and everything, and like it was just superheroes. I thought it was like really cool, and but. I didn't know the schedule, and this was before I learned Spanish. <laughs> See. So I was like, uh, I don't know, where I'll find this again. But then they started having, like, luchas on WDAF. Sadly, they were jobbers. They were make, they would job the shit out of them with that. They would, you know. But, yeah, they always liked to job the ethnics. That was my gripe with <laughs> WWE. They never could, they never knew how to. That was the thing I like about WCW. Those guys, they knew what a book like Puro Resu and, Lucha, and Luchadors, right? WWE could not know. They couldn't figure out how to do it. They just couldn't do WCW it. WCW definitely introduced me to a lot of wrestlers that I wouldn't have known of because they wouldn't have gotten their time to shine in WWF. No. Like, I learned about a lot of people from New Japan, like Bull, um, Bull Hakana. Um, that's how I learned about like Ultimo Dragon and psychosis um, La Parka. yes like, that was my dude so like so many great athletes got a chance and were able to just take over a motherfucking show at WCW they wouldn't have been able to do half the shit they did or just water them down like they did Ray Mysterio like watching like there's some moments I get mad when I'm watching old WCW and I'm seeing Rey Mysterio, and then thinking of Rey Mysterio that we got at w, um, WWF. It's just like, ah! I know, right? 
or I found like ECW, Chris Benoit, ECW, Eddie Guerrero, EC, all those guys, right? And it's like some people was... forget that Eddie was in ECW. Chris Jericho I didn't too. know he was in ECW. Yeah, I, I didn't know that because again, I didn't know about ECW. It's like I thought they came just from, you know, WCW. So when I watched some of their ECW matches, I was impressed. Oh yeah. See, that wasn't with ECW. Like the thing about it is, it had a three. It wasn't just thumbtacks and tables. Exactly. That's Combat Zone. No, it's like ECW basically brought like. It was like the three ring circus. Yeah, you had a lot of hardcore stuff, but also you had guys that they wouldn't be able to get booked in, in, in certain places. So it gave them that platform, you know, and this one made it really cool, you know, and but I really feel like I put it this way. Here's a weird analogy. There's certain bands like um, there's certain bands of the 70s, right, where they were more open experimental with their sound. Right. But, you know, they might be get forgotten for more experimental stuff, but maybe one to two songs that define their sound, which they didn't. It was like just a thumbnail on what they were trying to do. That's what ECW yeah. was like. And that's why you can never capture it again because you missed the point of it, though. It wasn't just about blood and guts. It was a part of it, but it's other parts of it, too. It was kind of like or Ren and Stimpy adult party cartoon. The reason why that one sucks shit is because it was only John Crifalusi. You could have had, like, other guy. You needed Bob Kane. You needed Vincent Waller. You needed whoever to balance that shit out you know and plus they were just showing like stuff that they already shown on regular networks because remember they only had not like not all of it was original stuff it was the ones that they just went heavy on the gay innuendo but it's obvious it's coming from someone who is not gay no <laughs> definitely not that actually um shit oh yeah Believe me, I, I was one of the people that was excited when I heard, hey, new Ren and Stimpy. So I was like, I've seen this already. You just added random gay jokes in it. Exactly. That was but, a... you're still, but you're showing the classic Ren and Stimpy's in between. You might as well say, it, it was a variety show at that point. It really was, you know. Showing already syndicated stuff that I would have been able to look at on MTV. So it was kind of no point. But... Well, well, I'll say the wrestling thing. I was, I became obsessed around like, of course, like everyone else, Attitude Era. I was watching during New Generation, but I was flipping in between that and WCW. Yeah. But majority of time, I was watching WWF, and then Raw happened, and then the Monday Night War started kicking, and that was an interesting time. I used to have a subscription to um, WCW Magazine, WWF Magazine, and Raw Magazine. So that's how I know a lot of this stuff, because remember, the Raw one was pretty much the fuck kayfabe one. Yeah, that was the shoot. That just, yeah, so that's how I know a lot of the shit that I knew was because I was reading, I had all of those. So I, as for school, they were wrestling fans, but they weren't really interacting with me because the fact, oh, it's a girl like wrestling, even though they know there were women wrestling anyway. <laughs> but, it, you know, dumb boy logic. And uh, more than anything, they were more intimidated that I actually knew shit besides what they, you know, just 
followed story like I've followed storylines. They did too, but the fact that I paid attention to other stuff besides WWF, like they thought there was one. They I don't know what it was, but there was the mindset for some of them that they thought East that WCW was for old people. I can see I can see why. Here's the reason why about that, because think it is right here. All the guys in WCW, they were like from NWA, all the Southern, more traditional stuff. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because you had like guys and even Shawn Michaels made a dig at that too. You know, that was like, um, like for example, you had like a lot of the older talent from WWF, you know, they jump ship and I don't want to say we're washed up actually, but when you look at it, when you don't, we kind of, when you kind of say like you can't see the forest for the trees, I can see where that can be said. But yeah. but on the other hand, though, if one's for WCW doing the NWO thing, that was the kick in the ass. That's the reason why, like, kind of along with ECW, inspired the Attitude Era. Because okay, the new generation thing, you couldn't have had something like, you know, you couldn't have had the NWO in something like WWF, the new generation, because they were doing. Oh hell no, they would not. Oh, that shit would have ended so horribly if NWO or DX happened during New Generation. Oh, no. no. Cause oh, my God. Where could you fit just that between I, Duke the Dumpster and T.O. Hopper? Exactly. That shit would have been a nightmare, especially you remember you had people on the lineup like the fucking Warlord, Damon Demento, and oh, fucking Phantasm. Like, you had... You had hokey shit like that. Oh, God. NWO and DX and oh no, it would have been, been so they, they would have been fucking kids prop of themselves, motherfucker. No, totally. Oh, no. It would have it would have been fucked up, you know. So the music alone would have been terrible. Cause let's be real, some of the stuff co coming out, new generation, they would have had a new Jack Swing variation. <laughs> <laughs> of their thing, oh. and I love New Jack Swing, but it would not have fit. No, not with Jim Johnson doing it. Fuck no. No. That reminds. It would have just sound like it would have just sound like the WrestleMania theme. You know the uh oh, oh, It would WrestleMania. That. One. Oh and God. I like that one. I, like I love the instrumental for it. All right, I remember you mentioning that you were doing marketing for a Starlet Anime Society when it moved to DC. What was that like? Like, was there any crossover with all these subcultures? Or is oh, this... DC Anime Club? Yeah. Um, yeah, one thing, because younger audience, <clears throat> but also it was a mixture of ages. A lot of them, they weren't really part of a subculture. They were just nerds, the ones that... Obviously, we picked on, but they were like the you know nerd nerds. Um, but the one thing I noticed, some were a mixture of theater geeks, drama kids. So <clears throat> yeah, theater kids, drama kids. Um, I've noticed some were part of like ra like ravers. Oh yeah. Yeah, some of them were influenced like into rave, little runaways. Um, it was a mixed bag, but a lot of it was like suburban kids who wanted to be hood, but they were coming from Virginia. 
and their parents were blowing up their phones, wondering where they were, because they just had this idea that they were going to get mugged because they were in D.C. It happens. Like, literally, there were a few members that were like that, that I had to... There was one that I had to talk to their mom, film the Alzheimer's, and that I am watching them, that I am supervising them. Oh. Yeah. Because they wanted to hang out. Because after our meetings, we started doing that we would go get something to eat. Because, you know, we were in Chinatown. Tons of joints to eat at. The only problem is some of them motherfuckers were broke. So they end up just coming, going in, trying to bum off people, or just sitting there taking up space. So when I started um, running it, when it came to the after hours thing, I was like, if you don't have money, do not follow us. Take your ass home. <laughs> That's fair. Shit. Yeah, because I was going to like sushi bars and shit. Hmm. Like I was, I was running to the sushi bar. I was like, when they started um, building them in the area, I was going to the sushi <laughs> bar and stuff. And I found different ones in the area, so it became like an adventure. <laughs> but it was fun. Um, the whole thing, how that started, they didn't have a marketing thing. That I ended up creating was because I liked the idea of the club when I found their flyer when I was studying at UDC. So I found them at the library. They were at Northeast Library at the time and just grabbed a couple of flyers and were putting them on buses and on the train. So I was kind of promoting myself because I liked what they were doing. And they noticed more members showed up and they were saying, oh, they found it on this bus or this person gave it to me. So over time after that was happening, they ended up creating the street team, which was literally just me at the time. And then me and the vice president, we were getting like all the different adverts and just passing them out or placing them at different places. So that's what I was doing. And then it led to other things like getting films screened, like, helping with getting um, Avengers screened in D.C., like in the D.C. area, so members will be able to see Avengers before everyone else. So it was stuff like that. And you did see a mixture of subcultures, but that was more when you started going to the anime conventions. Oh, yeah. Because you saw, you know, everyone, especially this was before it became popular to say that you even liked anime. Oh, yeah. People thought it was, like, one particular group of people, that it was, you know, shelter, you know, kind of sheltered losers. Like, let's be real. It, yeah. it wasn't truly a positive in some cases. Not at all. But, but then, over time, there was um, a bit of a change. But it was cool to see a lot of older people, especially because I was younger going there. So I was like, okay. So, this is some little kid thing. There's, like, older people here. Like, I'm seeing people with their kids. So, it was really cool. Um, I noticed that this was time, like, it was very white. Like, there was a lot of 
white people <laughs> that were there, like white kids. Um, a lot of them came from like Virginia. So this was when they I went to Catacomb when it was in D.C. Mm-hmm. But it was to see different groups like you saw your punks. There were some goths. Like there was, especially it's more diverse now. You saw a lot of different subcultures and just different types of people and just in between because we all like this one particular thing so it's been really fascinating seeing the changes and then seeing more women especially women of color especially more black people um the only thing is i wish that we saw more people quitting with the fucking blackface but uh yeah Cause they were doing that at the conventions too when I was going there, right? And sometimes, uh, luckily, I did not see that when I was there, because I think if I did, that would have just made me not go to cons. <laughs> if I if that was my first experience, I'm glad that was not what I saw when I started going to cons, because that would have cause that would have just had me heated. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing. I'll never forget, this is one convention, right? One guy was telling me, it's like, yeah, um, nobody does Mr. Popo here, actually. But the fuck part about it is there's some guys that said really, that did blackface, right? It was so damn convincing, you wouldn't have fucking known until you really got up on him. You wouldn't have fucking known. That was the creepy part. And that's when it's a problem. Very like, much. Really, you put this much effort. Yeah. Like, you never tell me who was who, but, um, those cons I was going to, like, in 98, between 98 and 2005, 2006, it was definitely a flying to butter, as Angela Moore would say, it was definitely a flying to buttermilk situation. Yeah. You know, very much so. Shit. You know, like, that reminds me... Like, what the hell? Oh, I was flipping through my phone, and you know about that Gavin, um, Gavin McInnes guy from the Proud Boys, right? One of my boys had a run-in with him, actually. Yeah, well, I'm reading this thing that he stuck a dildo up his own ass <laughs> to show he doesn't hate gay people. And there's actually a photo image of him with his pants down. I, I saw that earlier. I was like... I'm looking at it now. Leader of the Proud Boys, Gavin McGinnis, literally shoved a dildo up his ass to show he doesn't hate gays. Yes, this actual actually happened. Sticking a dildo in your butt to own the lives. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm just sitting here like, what? That's not how that works. You know, I'm like, okay, I just kind of feel... He just got off two ways. Um, prostate massage and exhibitionism. What the fuck was that? Yeah, I'm just sitting there like he just wanted to. He just wanted to air out his kink in public. Yes, he That's did. All that is. He just wanted to air out his kink. <sighs> but anyway, <laughs> I know that was a random ass segue. Like, hey, proud boy sticking a dildo up his ass. Selling like some shit. Remember that in Living Color sketch at that one diner and that the dude real random shit? Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Gavin into himself a dildo over his ass. 
Pick it up. Pick up. <laughs> I used to love that kid because I used to just randomly yell, "Pick up!" You know what? I just thought of a weird thing. Okay, um, they got a dildo over your ass though in the lives. No, that was a that was a <laughs> sketch they cut out. Uh, that would that would have been men on film actually. That would that would be cool. Men on sex <laughs> toys. That would be a great sketch. Um, no, no, no. I just remembered. Um. What if, what was that guy, okay, what was the old blues guy's name again on Living Color? Oh, I loved him, but I can't remember. All right. But I bet I remember one of his songs. You know, you know who he'll be like the descendant of? Who? Elias. Oh, Lord. So there's a moment that Elias... Kimmy's just going, ain't no monsters in the closet. Just your daddy wearing your mama's drawers. Might as well. It's like, it's the same idea if you think about it. It's a guy basically singing insulting ass songs to the audience. I'm going to sing a song now. Here here we go. Pretty much. Now someone needs to dub that. Someone needs to dub that. I I have an idea. You've heard about... What's been going on with Five Favorite Death Punch? Nah, fill me in. Um, the drummer quit the band to become a cop and then made a new project where he calls himself Devil Daddy. The band is called Psychosexual and it looks like some outdated trash from the new metal era of mud on the 90s, like some mud vein type shit with Walmart brand elements. And this is why I listen to City Pop now. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna just share it so you can see the mess. Oh, God. Uh, you know... You... This is why I roll my eyes when people keep saying they listen to metal and they mention Five Figure Death Punch. I'm like... When I first heard of Five Finger Death Punch, I was like, is that a fisting joke? What the fuck is that? I thought it was a joke, too. I was like, Five Finger Then I heard it, I'm like, this sounds like the guys that peaked in high school, and they still tell you all the things they accomplished during high school football. So, they're Al Bundy? I was thinking more of the dude from, um, I was thinking more Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, I can see that. That's a better one, actually. And they, but they're wearing military shit, even though they've never been in the military. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or as Jim Cronover calls it, outlaw mudshell bullshit. Yeah. Yes. Fucking dreadful. Like, Like, I never, I never could get into those guys. Um... But there are a lot of bands now because what pisses me off is like, first of all, is I'm trying not to shake my, you know, fist of the clouds and everything, but I hate this overprocess bullshit they call rock. I'm like, this is not metal. This is Kyle. A lot Cole. of it is not. It's just, it's more than, I can't even call it dad rock because even dad rock had some rock to it, like ACDC and shit like that. I call it this Kyle Core. Yes, it's, it's, leave me alone, mom. 
Are my hot? Give me my hot pockets. That's what. This is that angry, angsty dude who lives in the suburbs and does everything to seem tough. But no one, if you even buck at them too hard, they they will cry. They're the ones that yell out how they were a Navy SEAL and shit. <laughs> the closest they ever got to being a Navy SEAL was wearing a dark blue shirt and singing the singer SEAL. That's the closest they ever got to that bullshit. Um, like, fuck. I've seen the exact type. Oh, my God. Did they wear they a tap-out shirt? Listing... Yes, I was like, like tap-out shirt. And jorts. But they... Yes, not even ju- they just too long. They weren't Japrees. Oh God, the Jants. Oh Lord. <laughs> Is it because I said Japrees? <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say they look like John Cena, but I would never disrespect John Cena that way. And they're wearing skate shoes, and the shorts are the camo ones. They're wearing like long ass camo. Please. And they hate rap and love Eminem. Yes, that's it. That is exactly them. Let a white person have the mic. Oh, they, they're great. They're the greatest rapper ever. Like, I hate rap. I'm like, then how are you going to say he's the greatest rapper ever when you don't really listen to rap like that? Can you even spell Big Daddy Kane? <laughs> Give me a little. <laughs> or the variant. The, I listen to NWA. You didn't give a fuck about that. How can you say fuck the police actually and have like a Blue Lives Matter sticker in your fucking, you know, on your back of your Humvee? Like, there's so much cognitive dissonance. Like, seeing people call themselves conservative and all this other shit, but then they say how much they like Rage Against the Machine. I'm like, did um, did you actually listen to Rage Against the Machine? Exactly, you know. That's why the, that's it's why just the like band hearing is people bad that was mad over Black Sabbath with the Black Lives Matter shirt, which is one of my favorite new shirts. I gotta get one. Is, I'm just sitting there like, have you listened to Black Sabbath? Like, did you forget fucking War Pigs? <laughs> exactly. Like, bruh. <laughs> children, of the, children of the Grave, even, you know? Yes, especially fucking Children of the Grave. Like, I wouldn't say they forgot their roots because they never really had any. They just thought it was a sweet-ass oh, yeah. riff. Yeah, they were just like, ooh, I just like the loud guitars. It scares my parents. I just want to just... They... <sighs> People you just want to hit on the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. Yes, back of the head, El Cabong style. New Jack style. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Jeff Jarrett style, but it's one of the guitars that shoots fireworks. The yes. one that's just skeeting. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What is skeeting? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's great talking to you, Jenea. You too. Night. Night.